0: Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World, with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. Storm clouds may be gathering, potentially casting a shadow over Saudi Arabia's shock-and-awe sports-buying spree and complicating the geopolitical and geoeconomic sports strategies of the United Arab Emirates and Qatar. So far, it's been smooth sailing for autocratic Gulf states. Despite a decade of fierce criticism and a UAE-Saudi-led boycott, even Qatar turned its successful hosting of the 2022 World Cup to its advantage. That could be changing. A combination of embarrassing disclosures, calls for restricting foreign state ownership of soccer clubs, regulators curbing the Gulf state ambitions, competition among the Gulf states, legal challenges to gulf funding, and fan protests suggest trouble could be brewing. Looming largest, leading English Premier League clubs have asked the government, in advance of the creation of an independent football regulator, to block nation-states from owning soccer teams. The regulator is expected to assess the suitability of prospective owners and directors, emphasizing the ethics and integrity component of the testing. It was not immediately clear whether the eligibility assessment would be retroactive, potentially challenging the UAE's ownership of Manchester City, a guttery bid for Manchester United, and Saudi Arabia's 2021 acquisition of Newcastle United. Ownership of Newcastle by Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, the Public Investment Fund, or PIF, could prove to be the most vulnerable. Some Premier League teams suggest the league's assertion that the kingdom's legally binding assurances that it would not control the club have since been contradicted in court filings in the United States. In the filing, Saudi Arabia described the Public Investment Fund as a sovereign instrumentality of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and Yas al-Rumayan, Newcastle's chairman and the fund's governor, as a sitting minister of the Saudi government. A British government briefing paper on the independent regulator appeared to hedge its bets. The government said it was designing the eligibility test with trade-offs involved and taking note of the range of corporate structures behind clubs, including complex ownership structures, private equity and funds, sovereign wealth funds, and fan-owned clubs. In addition, the government said that the regulator would not be able to make unilateral judgments that risk straying into foreign policy. Government officials have sometimes defined Gulf state acquisitions as crucial to Britain's relationships. The eligibility test raises whether similar assessments should be applied in other sectors, particularly the media, with Ghattari and Emirati investors eyeing the acquisition of stakes in the Telegraph Media Group, publisher of Britain's venerable conservative newspaper, The Telegraph. Saudi Arabia's 2019 acquisition of a 30% stake in the independent may serve as a warning sign. The liberal British online publication lent its brand to Saudi-controlled Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, and Turkish-language news websites operating under the kingdom's strict censorship and repression of freedom of expression and the media. Saudi restrictions were displayed this weekend, when Saudi Arabia lost a poorly attended friendly match against Costa Rica in Newcastle Stadium. In a break with tradition, the Saudi sports ministry banned Saudi coach Roberto Mancini and national team players from speaking to the media after the match. Before the game, a Newcastle supporters group staged a protest against using the historic ground by the Saudi national team. The NUFC Fans Against Sports Washing group held posters of young men they said were on death row in the kingdom for demonstrating. The group represents a minority of Newcastle supporters, most of whom appear to be concerned little about Saudi Arabia's abominable human rights record. Saudi dissident Lina al Hathlul addressed the protesters. Fans can both be happy about Newcastle winning and criticize what is happening in Saudi, she said. Mrs. Al-Athlu's activist sister, Lujain, was arrested in 2018 and sentenced in 2020 to almost six years in prison for inciting change to the basic ruling regime and serving a foreign agenda inside the kingdom by using the Internet with the objective of damaging public order. She was released in 2021, but slapped with a five-year travel ban. The effectiveness of the soccer eligibility test is likely to be complicated by Gulf State's lack of a conflict of interest policy that allows government officials to pursue private business interests while serving the public. The Saudi government's relationship with Newcastle may be unambiguous. It gets murky with the UA's ownership of Manchester City and the Guthrie bid for the club's arch-rival. Manchester City is owned by the City Football Group, a holding company in which Abu Dhabi United Group for Development and Investment, ADUG, has an 81% stake. Mansour bin Zayed al-Nahayan controls the Abu Dhabi Group. He is an Abu Dhabi ruling family member and UAE Minister of Presidential Affairs. Similarly, it is unclear whether Jassim bin Hamid al-Thani, chairman of Qatar Islamic Bank and son of a former prime minister, is personally interested in Manchester United, or whether his $9 billion bid for the club is part of a Guttery effort to expand its European franchise. Britain's eligibility test is one of several potential challenges the Gulf funding. Spain's top soccer league, La Liga, has complained to the European Commission that Qatar's state aid to Qatar-owned Paris Saint-Germain allegedly distorts European Union markets by paying above-market sums for top players. La Liga filed its complaint under newly enacted European Union foreign subsidies regulations. The rules empower the Commission to investigate funding by non-EU members or companies operating in Europe and redress, if needed, their distortive effects. La Liga opened itself to allegations of hypocrisy by at the same time appointing Visit Saudi, the Saudi tourism marketing campaign, as its global sponsor. How the Commission handles the complaint could have consequences for Saudi Arabia's mouth-watering expenditure on soccer player acquisitions. For $875 million, the acquisitions netted the kingdom 15 foreign players, including superstars Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, and Neymar. However, it failed to seduce Lionel Messi, who opted for Inter Miami, and did not secure Liverpool's Mohamed Salah, before the transfer window closed. La Liga's complaint and the British eligibility test are not Qatar's only post-World Cup headaches. A recent U.S. court filing allegedly documents Qatar paying $330 million to 14 executives of world soccer body FIFA in advance of the awarding of the 2022 World Cup to the Gulf state. The UAE, the Middle East Teflon state, also faces embarrassing allegations. Muckraking Norwegian soccer magazine Josimar asserted in a lengthy investigation that Manchester City's long-standing direct selling partner QNET has been af- implicated in African human trafficking inquiries involving an alleged Ponzi scheme. QNET and Manchester City denied the allegations. Adding to potential Gulf headaches is an emerging competition between Gulf states, particularly Saudi Arabia and Qatar. The Confederation of African Football reported the annulled Qatar's BN Network's rights to broadcast interviews with African national teams and clubs after agreeing with BN's rival, Saudi sports company SSC. At about the same time, B. N. Media chairman Nasser Al-Khalefi, as chairman of the European Club Association, ruled out a Saudi club's participation in a reformatted Champions League, Europe's top soccer competition. I don't know what's going to happen in a few years, but today, I don't see that anyone from outside will play here, Mr. Al-Khalefi said. Mr. Al-Khalefi also chairs the Qatar Investment Authority subsidiary, Qatar Sports Investments, and is president of Paris Saint-Germain. Talking about Saudi Arabia, Peter Frankenthal, Amnesty International's Economic Affairs Program Director, warned sports washing is affecting numerous sports and governing bodies need to respond to it far more effectively. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The turbulent world with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you. Take care and best wishes.